Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, October 2nd, 2017. I feel... Prophecies coming on. <laughs> I don't know what it feels like, you know, but <laughs> I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. It's just one of those things. It must be the beginning of a month, you know. And this will be a slightly truncated month. I've got some traveling I gotta do. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to, you know, open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, <gasps> self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we should be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine is just bleh. I mean, it's not even close to what God's Word says. I hate to say this. There's a whole lot of people (laughs) sitting in places called churches, and they're slurping up pig slop, and they're going, oh, this is the best thing ever. Amen, amen, amen. And and you sit there, and you do my job. You sit there and go, what? What are you amening? That's pig slop right there. No, it's not. This is the best stuff from God. And man, I'm telling you, it's going to change my life. And yeah, it's going to change your life by sending you to hell. What are you thinking? And you're just a hater. You are not in tune with the new things that the Holy Spirit is up to. We have new wineskins. That's not. That's not a wine skit. That's not even wine. It's pig slop. Stop saying that. It's, you just deny the work of the Holy Spirit. No, I don't. I really believe that the Holy Spirit's still working today. If you did, you would be eating this stuff with me. That's not anything you want to touch. That's radioactive pig slop. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's this is kind of how it goes today. And uh, you should see my email box, but... Anyway, yeah, that's a little radio sketch. Totally free. I'm not going to charge extra for that. 
So let's talk about what it is that we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Like I said at the beginning of the program, as we set the thing up, it's October. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and uh, the uh, the prophetic words are already starting to come in rather quickly. And uh, so we're going to start by putting our toe in the water to <laughs> see what the latest prophetic words are. And in in kind of a rarity here at Fighting for the Faith, I'm going to do something I haven't done in a while. And that is, we're going to play Ryan Lestrange's Monday Word on the actual Monday it was released. I know, I know. It's You, just, you can take notes and you can plan your week now accordingly. So uh, let's talk about exactly what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin with Kay Nash and her October prophetic word. We'll be checking in with Ryan Lestrange and his Monday prophetic word. We'll be checking in with Jennifer LeClaire and her October prophetic word that she claims that God the Holy Spirit has given her. We will then... <laughs> you know, <laughs> That'll take up the first part of uh, the first half of the uh, first hour. Second half of the first hour, long segment, we're going to do a T.D. Jakes segment, and we're going to listen to his twisting of the story of David and Goliath. Mm -hmm. And the name of the sermon is, It is not just that you have to fight Goliath, you have to fight your brethren too. (laughs) It's like... Yeah, I I don't have any Goliaths to fight. Uh, Jesus fought mine for me and defeated him quite handily on the cross and by his vicarious resurrection, death and resurrection from the grave. Um, you kind of get the idea. So, and then in hour number two, uh, oh man, we're gonna head over. We're gonna head down to South Florida and we're gonna listen to Church by the Glades and their first sermon in the sermon series, I Heart Pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you would think that um, that uh, Hurricane Irma, you know, w- w- you know, wandering through Florida like a wrecking ball, and all of the weather warriors and their inability to stop it would chasten these people. <laughs> it's like, nope, nope, no. There's no chastening going on there, and so we'll be listening to uh, <clears throat> uh, David David Hughes as um, he um, explains to us about how the the importance of co-opting pop culture and the weird thing is that i mean at the beginning of the sermon he literally is saying that john the baptist was like a pop culture phenomenon <laughs> it's like immediately i was scratching my head going wait a second pop culture you know and leveraging pop culture apparently uh, john the baptist was a leverager of pop culture this is a fellow who wore a camel hair shirt, had a leather belt, and ate locusts. When was that pop culture? It, you know, so anyway, you kind of get the idea. That's what we're going to be doing for today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We got a lot of ground to cover since we're going to be checking in with the latest prophetic words for the month. Uh, we're going to have to do our prophetic holy orders, network information exchange, syndicate update. Let's do this. Oh, hallelujah. Get up right now.
Yeah, that's right. Uh, Robert Tilton and Hubabaconda. So let's uh, start off our Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update by heading over to the YouTube channel of self-proclaimed prophetess Kay Nash as she gives us what God has told her is the October prophetic word. Uh, Yes, hope you're sitting down. Here we go. Kay Nash, and welcome back to another episode of Living Well. I'm here to give you the... I'm pretty sure I've, <laughs> I could live a lot weller. Is that a word? Um, I could live a lot weller without your <laughs> prophetic words, but okay. And by the way, the <laughs> on the screen, you know, oftentimes when somebody is introduced on camera, they put their name and title. Um, her name is Kay Nash. Title on screen is Seer. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't think so. October word. Yeah. Um, but before I do, I just want to say thank you for watching last month's video. I hope you guys enjoyed the Rosh Hashanah video. I hope you had a good Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, it, it, it was just off the chain, yeah. And that you're really bringing in this new year. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back and watch the 5778 video. So this is the first month of the year, and it's time to get things started. This is definitely... Yeah, first month of the Jewish year. Time for new things. Um, but I want to get into the word. Um, so the first thing I want to say, though, before I start with that, is that we're having a conference in December, um, a women's conference called Winter with Jesus. And if you haven't... <laughs> what? Winter with Jesus? Did you invite Jesus to your concert, your 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 conference? Purchased your ticket yet? Go ahead and purchase it. Um, we have a lot of prophetic women coming in um, from different places. Um, two of the women are coming from Michigan, and me and one of the other women are from here in um, Altamont Springs, Orlando area. Um, so make sure you get your ticket. We're going to just. Change your life that weekend. We really believe there's... Yeah, not for the better. I mean, not all changes in life are good. Just want to remind you of that. Yeah, birthing of the women that go to this meeting. That- the women who go to the meeting will be birthing. Huh? Things that are locked up in the heavenlies are going to release in this meeting. Um, and your winter season is going to change. It might seem too late for you, but God will birth something no matter what age you are. Think of... So, whether you're an old woman or a young woman, come to her conference expecting to give birth. Okay. Sarah, um, think of Hannah crying out or even Elizabeth. Um, We're going to talk about those things um, at this meeting. I'm really excited for you guys to come out to that. So, go to knashministries.com and click on our conference tab and you can purchase tickets there. All right, let's jump into the word. There's two parts of this word. The first part of the word is kind of, it's false prophets arising. I believe there's going to be wolves in this hour that are arising. The irony here is thick. This is a woman who is a self-proclaimed prophetess, and she's a false prophet in the truest sense of the word, and she's claiming that the word of the Lord is warning against false prophets. (laughs) <laughs> is this like when you like you ever been in like one of those rooms where you have two mirrors facing each other and it just like it creates the weird tunnel effect? Yeah, I, I feel like we're experiencing a weird prophetic tunnel effect at this moment. 
real, like ravish wolves. The, the Bible says ravenish um, wolves. And when you look up some of the meaning of that word and you want to, you know, get into what it actually originally meant, one of the things was that it was hungry and, you know, false. Pro- hungry like the wolf. Tempted to do a <laughs> fighting for the faith. Gratuitous musical interlude, but I'll refrain. It's our hungry for you to devour you to devour what you have they don't care about your well-being they only care about their well-being um so you know that's a sign for you to stay on guard but i feel like this is a month when a lot of false prophets are going to come to prominence and so make sure that you're using discernment now obviously there's the simplicity of just asking the holy spirit Holy Spirit, is this a person of you or is this person not? It's really important that you're asking the Lord who you're following because, you know, the shepherd cares about the sheep. The wolf does not care about the sheep, you know? And so I want you to really be asking the Lord, you know, again, for those of you who are familiar with my teachings on Python, you know, a false prophet is often going to come under the spirit of Python if they're actually accurate. What? Oh, the, <clears throat> the spirit of Puthona that is mentioned in the book of Acts regarding this slave girl who uh, had a spirit of divination is, is a reference to the ancient oracle at Delphi. What are you talking about? And so be looking for that. You know, if you're like, what is the spirit of Python? It's also referred to in the Bible as the spirit of divination. But when you start doing research, it's actually the spirit of Python. Um, and so some of the things they might say to you are true. That does not mean that because they are true, that they are of God. You know, I've definitely learned this the hard way. I've definitely had girls in my ministry learn this the hard way. Just because a prophet, prophet speaks something that's true does not mean they're of God. Now, Well, yeah, scripture is actually clear about that. Um, <laughs> the test is always in the doctrine. Prophets also make mistakes, okay? No, they don't. Um, Deuteronomy 18 makes it very clear that prophets do not make mistakes. That's the standard for prophets. No mistakes, no typos, no misspeaking. If they're hearing from God, it will always come to pass. Prophets are not Jesus, okay? They're prophets. I agree, but if God is speaking to a prophet, then they 100% of the time will get it right. They're not sinless. They're going to make mistakes. That doesn't mean they're a false prophet. Yeah. Unfortunately, God's word disagrees with you here. Let's take a look at the passage in question, by the way. Deuteronomy chapter 18 specifically lays out one of the tests for a prophet. And there's a wonderful prophecy in this text in Deuteronomy 18 of Jesus. Wonderful prophecy about Christ. Deuteronomy 18.15, Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, Moses is writing, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of Yahweh your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my God, or see his great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will speak, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. 
But the prophet who presumes, this is verse 20, to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that Yahweh has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that Yahweh has not spoken. The prophet has prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Need not be afraid of him basically means uh, take him to court, find him guilty, and then put him to death. Yeah, false prophecy in the ancient theocracy of Israel was a capital crime. Now, you're going to note here that Cain Ash has put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Let me back up her prophecy just a little bit, and it's not really a prophecy, so you can hear what it is that she said, and we're going to note that the emphasis is on the wrong syllable. Watch what she says. Prophet, prophet, speak something that's true does not mean they're of God. Now, Prophets also make mistakes, okay? Prophets are not Jesus, okay? They're prophets. They're not sinless. They're going to make mistakes. That doesn't mean they're a false prophet. Yeah, now God's word disagrees with her. And you're going to note where she put the emphasis on the prophet. Now, it's absolutely true. Every single prophet of the Old Testament and even some of the New Testament prophets, uh, you think of Agabus, they were all sinners. None, not one of them was perfect. But see, that's not the standard because you're going to note Deuteronomy 18 doesn't sit there and say, and say well, they're going to make mistakes. It says, no, if they say something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, they have spoken presumptuously, they are to be put to death, quite simply. And you sit there and go, well, but they're not perfect. Right. But God is. And that's the point, is that prophets like Cain Ash and others, they make room for fallible prophets, and they, they use a logic that is not actually given in Scripture, and they say things that Scripture says the exact opposite of. So Scripture is clear. If somebody speaks something is going to happen in the name of the Lord and it doesn't take place, they've spoken presumptuously, they are not a true prophet. They are a false prophet. And the reason for this is simple. God being God he is perfect. His word, when he com- when it comes to somebody, it comes perfectly, and that person knows that they're speaking God's word, that God is speaking to them, and so forth. Right? It's quite simple. So uh, the, these fallible prophets somehow make it sound like, uh, well, you know, God's out there talking; He's communicating, um, but they misheard Him, or you know, because of their sin, they're not quite able to hear Him accurately all the time. Nonsense. When God speaks, he speaks perfectly every time. And you can think of somebody who was technically uh, you know, a sorcerer, and that would be Balaam of the Old Testament. This is a guy who was not a true prophet in any sense of the word. In fact, he was put to death by the children of Israel for his sorcery and witchcraft, and yet he gave a true prophecy that is recorded in Scripture. And he said, there go, how can that be? This guy wasn't even a true believer in Yahweh. Right. One doesn't even have to be a believer in Yahweh to, for God to speak to them and for them to communicate in his name. Yeah, belief is not even a necessary component. So, yeah, Cain Ash here is, uh, let's just say, what she said is not at all what God's word says. So, all right, so uh, pr- false prophets arising in October Again, the irony is not lost on me. Let's check in with uh, Ryan Lestrange. And yeah, I know this is going to sound crazy. Today's 
Monday Word, on the actual Monday that it was released, here's Ryan Lestrange. Hi, friends. It's Ryan Lestrange with the Monday Word. And my Monday Word for you is creating a personal prophetic atmosphere. I want Right. <laughs> Haven't done that yet. You know, it's... yeah, I, I hear something like this, and the only thing I can think of is like my honeydew list. You know, I, I have a list that my wife keeps for me of, you know, things that need to be fixed around the house and stuff or errands that I need to run that require me to go to Lowe's or Walmart or maybe Menards. And uh, and I'm just, oh, man, so I'm going to have to add on to the list. Uh, create personal prophetic atmosphere. <laughs> Where do I go to buy the supplies for my personal Prophetic atmosphere. I mean, uh, which stores have what I need for this? Help you establish space, room in your life yeah. for the voice of God to emanate and resonate. So many people say, I just need a Bible for that and I can have God's voice emanate while I'm in church, while I'm in the pirate cave, while I'm at Starbucks, you know. Oh, this is the time of the year when those pumpkin spice lattes are flowing. Oh, man. Having a craving. Words to me, Ryan. I'm having difficulty hearing from God. Now I wrote about this in detail, and I'm yeah. just going to give you some snippets. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. Please do. Yeah. New book, uh, Supernatural Access. If you want to build <laughs> supernatural, ah, uh, don't you think that if you know God wanted us to understand about the keys to supernatural access, that they would just be right there in the Bible? A powerfully prophetic life that will help you to be a tool. But first, let's begin. What is an atmosphere? Yeah. I, <laughs> so, uh, just yeah, you heard it from Ryan Lestrange. He's a tool. So, yeah, I, that's how I heard it. You know. Yeah. What? What? What do we define as an atmosphere? According to Webster's, it is a surrounding influence or environment. You see, atmospheres are in Webster's. Which Greek word are you using there? Environments. They are birthing places of. Oh man. So it's a, a place where midwives, spiritual midwives hang out. Um, it's a birthing place. Oh, man. I am not putting my spiritual legs in no stirrups. Just saying. ...of thoughts, of feelings. You literally have physical and spiritual reactions to atmospheres. Jesus demonstrated this. He did? came to him in Mark 5 and said, my daughter's lying at the point of death, but if you'll come and lay your hands on her, she's going to live. J right, Jairus. I'm familiar with the story in Mark 5. Uh, the uh, So J Jairus's 12-year-old daughter is about to die. Uh, then you got the woman with the issue of blood who literally has been unclean for 12 years. Uh, she comes up behind Jesus and touches one of his sitzioth, uh, the little tassels that hang off the ends of the shirts of uh, Jewish males at the time, ordered by God, by the word, uh, by the way, in the Old Testament, and she's healed. But I don't recall in Mark five anything about spiritual atmospheres. It was creating a powerful prophetic atmosphere by speaking the word of the Lord. One of the entry points of the prophetic is the word of the Lord. When Satan came to tempt Jesus, how did he respond? He said, it is written. Revelation says that, that the, the prophetic anoint is the testimony of Jesus. One of the most critical ways we engage the prophetic the is... Prophetic, pro prophetic anointing is the testimony of Jesus? What? The Revelation says the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus.
or the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's all about proclaiming Christ. Written word of the Lord. We start there as a diving off point into prophecy. I remember in Bible college, a friend of mine plastered. You, you went to Bible college. Has the institution called you and said, we'd like your diploma back? All over his wall. I said, what is this? He said, these are the areas of my life I'm believing God for. And he let the word of the Lord prophesy over him. When he looked at that, it stimulated his mind to begin to meditate. And so in building atmospheres, you create places with the right spiritual climate. The right. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, is your spiritual climate humid or is it dry? Is it warm is it moderate or is it cold? What kind of spiritual atmosphere are you creating in your life? This is, this is insanity. God's word doesn't teach this, especially in Mark 5. Emotional climate, the right creative climate, prophecy and the spirit of prophecy is created. And so many times... Do you have a text that says any of this? You need visual things. If you're creating a study space, it helps you to have things that when you look at them, your mind goes into a place, I'm here to study. You walk into a library, you have a different mentality than if you go to a theme park with a roller coaster. So you create a client. Well, yeah, now that now that I think about it, sure. You know, when I go to Disneyland, it's different than when I go to the library. Yeah, duh. Now, people say, well, hogwash, we don't need that. We can walk by faith. You're right. The Bible said the just shall live by faith. But if we're going to be prophetic people, we've got to learn to engage the culture of the prophetic that God. I got to engage the culture of the prophetic. What does that even mean? What is the cash value of that phrase? This sounds like verbal garbage. I mean, take this stinky stuff and throw it in the dumpster. Intentionally designs atmospheres to move in. And so Jesus walks into the home of Jairus and he shifts the atmosphere. He What? He shifts the atmosphere? What are you talking about? All the unbelief out. He literally kicks the family who's in deep mourning and grieving out. He brings his two most trusted advisors in. No, he doesn't kick the family out. He kicks the professional mourners out. And they raise the dead in an atmosphere. In they G- raise the dead in an atmosphere. Don't you think if the atmosphere were so important as a vital component of that particular resurrection... That it would say so in the Gospel of Mark or in any of the cross-references. Nowhere in either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John does it talk about how Jesus shifted an atmosphere which created the prophetic, which led to the raising of the dead. That's ridiculous. This is ministry. He goes to his own hometown and cannot do many mighty works. Why? Because there's an atmosphere or a stronghold of unbelief. Now, An atmosphere of unbelief. By the way, the uh, the technical term for the uh, type of scripture twisting that Ryan Lestrange is currently engaging in, it has a name, and the name is called Jesus. Now you're sitting there going, what? Can you spell that? E-I-S-J-G-E-S-I-S. Isagesis. And it means to read something into the biblical text that isn't there. And that's exactly what he is doing. All right, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. 
We've got Jennifer LeClaire and T.D. Jakes. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. week already? Right, uh, package for you, ma'am, just, uh, signed there. Oh, dear, I was expecting something a bit larger. Is that all there is? Uh, afraid so, ma'am. Uh, sorry to disappoint. Oh, <laughs> no worries. I'm sure more will be on the way. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, have a good day, ma'am. I wonder what's in here. Oh, I do hope I haven't been ordering chip pits in my sleep again. Oh, it's a DVD! Oh, this had better not be another one of those Lectio Divina thingies. Hello! If you are watching this, it means that you have purchased the post-apocalyptic preparedness package. You have bought the... Bronze Edition. Bronze Edition? Please don't be alarmed, as your full order will be arriving within the next few weeks. Next few weeks? The end of the world might have happened by then. I should have paid the extra $99.99 for the faster shipping. The purpose of this DVD is to catalog everything that you will be receiving in the... Bronze Edition. ...package, along with information on our other great offers. Looks like there are different chapters to select from. Let's see here. Toiletries, clothing, nourishment, shelter, sanitation, medicine, gardening, energy, communication, weaponry, underwater basket weaving... Okay, additional accessories, expansion packs, and ooh, play all. <laughs> I'll choose that one. As you know, God has given us signs in the sun, moon, and stars that the end times are approaching. After the destruction of your country, the everyday comforts you currently enjoy will have been disintegrated by God's judgment. By investing in our merchandise, you have proven to God that you have audacious faith in his prophets, seers, and visionaries. Now we're ready to dive into the crucial survival equipment you have purchased. Well, I'm certainly glad that God knows I'm faithful. No doom and gloom for me. You have purchased the... Bronze Edition. Please pay attention to which items you will be receiving. I have my new pad ready. Part 1. Toiletries. In the Bronze Edition, your toilet paper will be made from the finest scratchy banana leaves and corrugated tree bark. Toilet paper made from scratchy banana leaves and... Wait, what? In the Silver Edition... Your toilet paper will be made from all-natural, organic, recycled plastic. In the gold edition, your toilet paper will be made from hand-quilted spider silk. This can't be right! In the bronze edition, you will receive a block of wood with bristles and a baking soda solution for maintaining healthy teeth and gums. Here's a pro tip. You can use your own hair as dental floss. Yeah! In the silver edition, you will receive... 
Oh my! I sat on the remote! It's fast forwarding! Um, uh, where's that darn play button? Oh, oh, wait, there it is! Part 5. Nourishment. In the bronze edition, you will receive 24 cans, each containing one month's supply of beans. As a nifty space saver, the cans are first filled with fresh river water, then topped off with dehydrated beans. This way, you'll have your food and water in the same convenient package. Strainers and can openers will not be included. The Silver Edition will provide dried fruit and vegetable packets along with a 36-month supply of chicken noodle soup and 50 gallons of distilled water. The Silver Edition will provide dried fruit and vegetable packets along with a 36-month supply of chicken noodle soup and 50 gallons of distilled water. What? How is that even fair? Gold Edition buyers will be given 50 crates of freeze-dried astronaut dinners. Flavors include chicken corn on blue, lobster surprise, filet mignon, oysters, caviar, and steak. Cheese platters will be served on the side of every dish. Water will come in glass bottles along with a complimentary water fountain with color-changing LEDs. This is ridiculous! I can't believe I wasted my cat's life insurance on this! What else is in this stupid thing? Gold Edition shelters have been constructed by our teams ahead of time for you. You will be getting your maps and keys to access your top-secret bunker in the coming weeks. Complimentary bouncy castles and jacuzzis can be found next to the theater room behind the bowling alley. In the Silver Edition, you will get him and her matching gardening gloves. For prosperous crops, this edition includes an inflatable, radiation-proof greenhouse. Part 33. Communication. Now pay attention, bronze buyers. Using two of your Space Saver Nourishment cans, you can attach this six-foot string to each side to make an electricity-free telephone. As a special promotion, we will also be giving out 12-foot strings for long-distance calls. Gold Edition weaponry includes six holy hand grenades, one hideaway moat, and... I can't believe this! They didn't say anything about different editions on the website. How, how do I upgrade? I can't survive with any of the useless junk they're sending me. What are the shams of these sleaze balls running? I could have sworn she said something about expansion packs. Additional accessories, such as a Holy Ghost decoder ring or a church box CD, can be purchased individually for $24.99 each. Please wait for our full accessory list. Ah! I don't want to hear any more of this rubbish! Part 104. Expansion Packs. Our hottest item is the Mr. Sparkle Party Pack. This little number comes with four sparkle suits, one disco ball, seizure-inducing strobe lights, and confetti poppers. It's fun for the whole family. I want my money back. This is an absolute outrage. I can't believe I fell for this ruse. This concludes our DVD presentation. If you have any questions, please call the number not located at the bottom of your screen. And remember that all payments are non-refundable and non-negotiable. Thank you, and have a wonderful apocalypse. Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? 
Oh, we throw them in the boo box? No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that all the people claiming to have prophetic words are bonkers, because they are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you choose. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Let's reset if we shall. Uh, We are still under the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update so let's do this down at an english fair one evening i was there when i heard a showman shouting underneath the flare i've got a lovely bunch of coconuts there they are standing in a row Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the chairman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roller bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roller bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roller bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, sing and roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. Got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Here's a real ripe one for you. It's uh, Jennifer LeClaire and her October prophetic word. I Let's just get to it before I explode. Here we go. 
guys, Jennifer LeClaire here, senior leader of the Awakening House of Prayer itself. Senior leader. Senior leader. Is that a is is that a office in Christ Church? The senior leader. You're the head fuhrer of the Awakening House of Prayer. Okay. I want to share with you the prophetic word the Lord has given me for the month of October. Now you all know that in this season witchcraft is rising, that dark forces are being celebrated. Dark forces are being celebrated. Okay. You all know uh, that you have authority over every dark force and every dark uh, enemy, everything. Dark force. Is that, is that the old uh, first-person shooter game of the Star Wars from LucasArts? I mean, yeah, that was a great game, Dark Forces. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It, man, that takes me back. <laughs> I don't think that's what she's referring to. What are you referring to, Jennifer? would exalt itself against the knowledge of God, you have authority. And so, but I say all that to say this, I've got this word here, it's about three paragraphs long. Three paragraphs, three whole paragraphs. When I begin to read it, the first part sounds like it's not such good news, but it's a reality that we all know that we're in a war. But the second two paragraphs now, you've got to put your shouting clothes on, as Brother Kenneth E. Hagin used to say, because it's good, it's good, it's good stuff, and it's going to supercharge your faith. It's going to chat. Kenneth Hagin, false prophet, yeah. Word of faith guy. Um, yeah, dies in heresy. That's not good. You, uh, this word of the Lord for October is going to challenge you. It's going to cause you to, to examine. I'm feeling challenged. Yourself. It's going to cause you to sort of think maybe, do I need to do some things a little differently? But how- I got to do some things differently, you know. If you know, when the, when the, the challenge of the Lord comes, it comes to increase you. It comes- right, when the challenge thingy comes. It's going to increase you, guys. It comes to bring you higher. It doesn't come to condemn you. It comes to, to shoot you, to propel you forward. In- shoot me forward, right, okay. In the name of the Lord. Let me read this to you, then I'm going to unpack this. Uh, just Yeah, start unpacking. Now, she's going to be quoting verbatim. You know, apparently the word of the Lord comes to her in such a way that she's got to write things down. So, I mean, just take the notes. I mean, you can transcribe this, I'm sure, and just add it to the back of your Bible, at least for the month that's that we're currently in. I heard the Lord say, radicals are rising to steal, kill, and destroy my plans and purposes in the earth and in your life. Now, let me just stop right there. We know very yeah, much. Yeah, just stop right there. I, I agree. You should stop. The enemy comes, John 10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy. He's got a threefold ministry, praise God. Hallelujah. We have a fivefold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Yeah, Scripture's clear that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Read all of uh, the book of Ephesians. Yeah, there are no modern-day apostles or prophets. And wax the devil every time. Uh, the believer that is thoroughly equipped in spiritual warfare, that's thoroughly equipped with all the graces, has maximum authority. In other words, they're walking in the revelation that they can teach, that they can prophesy, that they can evangelize, that they can build, praise God, that they can care. So is she exegeting and preaching on the uh, text that is before her? Yeah, the one she claims came from God. Sounds like it to me. Those five graces there together. Here's the thing. Jesus came to give you life in abundance to the full. The Amplified Bible says until it overflows. So if you're not seeing abundance, if you're not seeing uh, to the full, to the overflow in your life, you're living on the wrong side of John 10.10. (laughs) Yeah, you're living on the wrong side of the tracks there. So if you're not living life to the full, you know, your bank account's just bursting to overflowing. Mine isn't. 
and uh, you know, and you know, your kids are extremely well behaved automatically without you even, you know, no effort, no point of even disciplining them. They're just amazingly obedient, and you know, the the boss is you know constantly giving you promotions for no apparent reason. Well, then you know you're living on the wrong side of the John ten ten tracks. The Lord said, radicals are rising to steal, kill, and destroy my plans and purposes in the earth. He says, radicals... Did somebody just sneeze? What was that? I I must confess that her uh, YouTube videos, especially from the Awakening House of Prayer, their production value is... Just a wee bit lacking, you know. It's it sounded like her cameraman just sneezed and blew into a hanky. Demons have wreaked havoc on churches, families, and individuals. Yeah, see, there it is again. This disease and poverty and mind battles that have caused many to abandon their callings and abort their purpose. Oh no, you don't want to abort your purpose. Yeah, that, that's that's terrible stuff right there. Let me just stop and expound on that. See, God has called you to do something. God has there it is again. Given you an anointing. He has given you a commission, a mandate, uh, a mantle. He has given you uh, something to do in this season. But the enemy wants you to. Yeah, the thing he's given me to do in this season is expose false prophets like you. Yeah, I I don't know about you, but I think I'm I'm pretty much able to make it through the whole month of uh, October without <laughs> any of these nonsensical words. Even through the whole week without even Ryan Lestrange's. I yeah, it didn't change my life one wink. Good gravy. All right, let's change it up. We have a money grubbing televangelist update, so that's going to require us to do this. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira. Now the Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash. Money, money, money. Nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must hang up for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, round, round. round you round, can keep round, your marks as ways, but it's only just a place. But it's money, money, money makes the world. Sound like I'm microwaving a cat. Money, 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 money. Work on that. Maybe get vocal lessons or something. All right, so we're heading over to the Potter's house, uh, the uh, place where T.D. Jakes holds court, and we're going to be listening to his take on the story of David and Goliath. And boy, does he have a take. Apparently, we don't get to choose our battles, which is kind of like foundation point number one in this uh, sermon. By the way, T.D. Jakes's delivery is just amazing. I mean, he is a thespian extraordinaire. Uh, exegete, yeah, not even close. But uh, here's T.D. T.D. Jakes and his message. It's not just that you have to fight Goliath. You've got to fight your brethren, too. Yeah, here we go. I bet you everybody in here has a story. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've got all kinds of stories. Which one would you like to hear? Something that you did not pick. Right, yeah. For yourself. Right, yeah. I, 
I, there's lots of things. It's lots of stories I can tell about things I didn't pick. And before you judge me, woo! I mean, that just came out of nowhere. Clean my ears out. Hi, warn me next time before you're going to do that, TD. And before you tell me how I ought to be and how I ought to look and how much farther I ought to be than where I am, you shut your mouth. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I shouldn't be telling you you should be farther along than this. For you see, I didn't even get to pick the devil I'm fighting with. Right, those are choosing randomly like by lot, yeah. I got a devil assigned to me. Okay. Every time I get ready to get up, he stands up in my face and says, you know you can't do it. You know you can't have it. You know you can't be it. You know you can't become it. Right, you can't be it or become it. or Right, yeah, those devils, they're constantly talking like that, yeah. I don't know what he's talking about. And then I have to live with all of your judgments. Oh, yeah, that's just terrible right there. Funny at me about the fight I'm in because I'm in a stinky fight. (laughs) What? (laughs) You're in a stinky fight. Okay. Uh, Yeah, uh, sure. Um, mm Mm-hmm. I am <laughs> seriously at this point thinking about naming this episode. I'm in a stinky fight. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm in a sewer fight. Sewer fight. Yes, yeah, stinky sewer fight. <sighs> yeah, you just can't make this up. I'm in a messy, Drew's battered fight. That I did not get to. Uh, I yeah, I I feel for you, man. Yeah, those stinky sewer fights. No one would choose those anyways if they had a choice. David woke up that morning. Yeah. Wiped the sleep out of his eyes. Little boy. Ran in there and heard daddy talking and heard daddy Jesse say, I'm going to send that boy David down there okay. to carry lunch to Eli and them. You know, they in a fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why aren't you reading the text? They might be hungry. I'm going to send David down there to bring lunch. Okay, daddy. Okay, what you want me to bring in? He grabbed the little bushels and stuff. Don't worry about the sheep. We'll take care of the sheep today. You go down there to bring lunch. And that was all he was supposed to do. Was run down there and drop off some corn and go on back to take... Yeah, actually, it says cheese in the... uh, There was cheese. He, He dropped off cheese. Read the text. The sheep. That's what he had in mind. <laughs> but that's not how the day went. Have you ever started a day with one thing in mind? 
you're you're really exegeting the part that you added to the scripture. He's also, you'll note, engaging in eisegesis. Stuff that isn't actually in the biblical text. He's added it to it. But that's not how it went. And how it went changed your life. Over something you didn't even get to choose. Now let's add it up. You didn't get to choose how you were born. You didn't get to choose your gender. You didn't get to choose the color of your skin. You didn't get to choose your looks. You didn't get to choose your IQ, your mental capacity or ability. You did not get to choose your eyes, your ears, your nose, your body, your shape. You did not get to choose. You have to deal with what everybody said about how you look. Their sneers, their jeers. She's fat. She's small. Ooh, no breasts. Ooh, she got a butt too big. You had to live with all the stuff. They, yeah. So you started out and crying about something you didn't get to choose. And every day introduces you into a battle that you didn't expect to have to fight. It's not like the big event just started when you came and you didn't have to fight with nothing else. You've been fighting ever. What is he talking about? A battle you didn't choose. And in the middle of fighting all of those environmental battles didn't choose to be born in West Virginia, didn't choose to be born in Chicago, didn't choose to be born in the city, didn't choose to be born by the university, didn't choose to be born rich, didn't people hate you for being wealthy. It's not like you chose you. Most people born that didn't choose it. My daddy did, my mama, somebody did that didn't choose it. Most what does this have to do with first Samuel seventeen and the story of David and Goliath? Nothing. Notice who he's preaching about. You, he's not preaching about Jesus. Or even David. I mean, David apparently is just the launching off point to talk about you and, you know, the things you didn't choose in your life. I'm I, pretty sure the text has nothing to do with that. People are hating on you over something you didn't, jealous of you over something you didn't, trying to destroy you over something you didn't. <laughs> and really, when you marry somebody, you're really asking them, can you live with the devil that I didn't choose? <clears throat> what? What? And it's really a hard question because I'm having trouble living with that something. I never asked my wife that question. I better go check to see if she's still willing to do that. <clears throat> David thought he was bringing lunch. Yeah? <laughs> so? Run down here and drop off this corn and get on back to the house. I got some pregnant sheep might give birth while I'm gone. I got to hurry up and get back to the house. Don't want her to give birth and me not be around. He didn't know that if she did give birth, he would never see it because he had stepped into a battle that he didn't choose. Take a look at this. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 21 through 29. Finally, he's getting to the text. There you will find my text. First Samuel 17, 21 through 29. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array. Army against army. Army, that's the battle. Army against army. That's, 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 that, that was the strategy. 
that the Israelite army had and the Philistinian army. <laughs> Isn't that how battles normally go? <laughs> you know, army against army. I mean, that's like, <laughs> are you sure that's just not a description of general warfare rather than an actual strategy? Oh, man. They were going to go army against army. Right, right. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath. He wasn't even in the plan. I'm pretty sure that was not describing their strategy. I was like, whoa, 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 check this out. This is totally not according to plan here. We got a, we got a giant. Yeah, well, let's just let's just change the plan and throw throw him in. Goliath! This big joker wasn't even in my daily calendar. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, has the Goliath shown up in your day planner unexpected? Yeah. <laughs> what on earth? He didn't pop up in my memos on my phone. I was supposed to bring lunch to a fight between. Take your phone to the AT&T store. Hey, hey, I got this iPhone here, man. And uh, you're not going to believe this. Let me show you this. Watch this. You <laughs> love your day planner, right? What's that? That that's that right there is a Goliath. How did that get in there? I don't know. Wasn't part of the plan. <laughs> I mean, for real, this is this is a sermon. Armies and armies. And here comes this big joker out of everything. I would like a rebate on my iPhone, please. It's broken. It's defective. It's got Goliaths in it. In here, got a big old something you got to fight. Your Goliath, your giant, your devil, your thing. And you don't just fight it when things are bad. No. You fight it when things are good. Y you you got to fight him whenever he shows up, man. You, you know. Doesn't matter if it's a good day or a bad day. If your Goliath shows up, especially on your phone, unexpected, <laughs> you, you, you got to get busy. You got to fight it, man. Fight it when you're about to get a promotion. You fight it when a door is open. You fight it when things are wonderful. And you fight it when all hell is breaking loose. Here comes Goliath from Gath. I ain't going to Gath, but Gath came to me. <laughs> no. This, this is not what this text teaches. Gath, so I can't find you. <laughs> is your Gath wandering around looking for you? Goliath by name and out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words and David heard them. I can still hear the glass and David and David heard and ain't it funny how some kind of way you always hear hear what I don't even know what he's talking about oh, giant. 
Yeah. And David heard it. Tell somebody say, I heard it, I heard it, I heard it. I, I heard it, I heard it, I heard it, yeah. See, see, faith cometh by hearing and, and, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes what? What? <laughs> so, because, <laughs> so, because David heard Goliath, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So his faith came because, you know, he heard Goliath. I'm pretty sure Goliath trash talking that that wasn't yeah <laughs> the word of God. Believe is a result of what I heard. Oh God, I'm into something today. Oh yeah, yeah, you 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 stepped in it pretty deep there. You should have put something on your shoes there to keep the stink off. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were scared to death. They were prepared to fight an army. <laughs> I'm, con I'm concerned for the people there at the Potter's house. If I were to do use this rhetorical device, you know, you know, take it low, 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 and all of a sudden start screaming, yeah, like that. You know, I, if I did that during my sermons at Kongsringer, I'm afraid that some of the people in the congregation might actually have a bona fide heart attack. Thankfully, we have a defibrillator. I'm just. <laughs> This is so weird. But not a giant. No. Yeah. I'm good at fighting this. Yeah, whatever this is. What are they wooing about? That. I'm amazing if you put me in this environment. But if you disrupt it and bring certain things, I'm courageous about this. I'm scared to death of that. They were sore. Have you ever been sore afraid? That's not afraid. <laughs> afraid is a feeling in a moment. And sore is something that lingers. Right, yeah. Like after a workout, if you haven't worked out in a while. <laughs> oh, man. My shoulder, man. Sore. Afraid. I, I may have pulled something. Yeah. They were sore afraid. Certain things make me sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that is, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Free means no taxes. You kill this and your daddy don't have to pay taxes. You kill this and you kill your debt. Uh, what? You kill this and you kill your... Notice he's now switched this. Rather than an actual promise made to David, uh, you know, to the man who actually killed Goliath, and David is a stand-in for Jesus, now all of a sudden we've switched. The promise is now you kill this Goliath in your life and your debt's gone. Uh-huh, yeah, this is what we call the proverbial fast one. Good God of mercy. You kill this, you can change your family's environment. Uh. 
No. Kill this! You can break the curse over your generations. Right, you, you got to kill that thing that's put the curse over your generation and stuff. Yeah, that's not what's going on there in First Samuel. Wow, is this guy good. Good at deceiving. Probably one of the best I've ever seen, and that's not a good thing. That is a bad thing. All right, uh, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Yeah, we're heading to Church by the Glades to hear a seeker-driven pop culture sermon. Did you know that John the Baptist was a big pop culture icon? Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No visions are cast here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. This is just... Church has been taken over by the absurd. But let's do this right. Hey, ho. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us from Church by the Glades. David Hughes presiding. The name of the message, I Heart Pop. Opening act. That's the name of the message. And uh, he's going to blather on about pop culture and the importance of using it in church and stuff because you know john the baptist yeah big pop culture guy apparently i had no idea but hey i mean what's the point of having a bible if you can't like add your own stuff to it 
Let me go ahead and back off on the music. Without any further ado, here's David Hughes and I Heart Pop. Here we go. In uh, Matthew chapter 3, there is a sociological and spiritual phenomenon. All right. Matthew chapter 3 apparently is our text. Sociological spiritual phenomenon is occurring there. Israel had not seen in over 400 years. Not a few people. But multitudes, massive multitudes, great crowds are all journeying away from the villages and the towns and the cities. And they're going to a stark region near the Dead Sea. They're showing up in huge number. Why? God is moving in the multitudes. They're going for something. It's a hard, arduous journey. But people are packing up the family camel and going to the Dead Sea. Why? A pop star? A concert? No. A preacher. There's a man of God preaching the word of God. With such creativity and clarity and authority that creativity, creativity, what, where are you getting that? That, That's weird. Okay. Uh, let's check the (laughs) 10. Just, you can't make this stuff up. All right. So, uh, Matthew chapter three, let's take a look at it. Uh, starting at verse one in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Here's his message. Ready? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the one who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. I cannot imagine that that was ever like a fad or a thing, you know. (laughs) So then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. I don't see anything about creativity there. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that therefore does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This does not sound like creativity or seeker-driven methodology, uh, this is not attractional at all. Yeah, I don't know any attractional guys like David Hughes who even preaches like this. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now you notice that John the Baptist, according to the prophecy, 
was the one who prepares the way of the Lord, makes straight paths for the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus, God in human flesh. Jesus shows up, the Holy Spirit descends on him. Father says, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, this is great stuff, preparing the way of the Lord, preparing the way of Jesus. I mean, what little we know about John the Baptist is pretty much there. Nothing there about him being a pop culture creativity guy uh, or him engaging in attractional stuff at all. Thousands upon thousands of people. In fact, the Gospels indicate that the city streets of Jerusalem were desolate. It's like a ghost town. When this guy is preaching, everybody leaves the marketplace. Everyone goes. Everyone is going to hear the word of God preached by a radical communicator named John the Baptist. Yes, there's one Baptist in the Bible. His name is John. And he is speaking with clarity and authority into popular culture. It's a pop culture phenomenon. It's not a rocker, a rapper, a pop star. It's a preacher. And everyone is going to hear what he's saying. Now, John's message is phenomenal. Let me just show you. I want to jump right to the text. I want to make sure we use our time as wisely as possible. Uh, We're in Matthew chapter what? Come on. You're getting quiet. How can you be quiet today after all that, man? By the way, by the way. Right now, as you find Matthew 3, also take your phone and text someone and invite somebody to church. There's somebody you know who thinks church is kind of dull and boring. Oh, please bring them. You can come back if you want to if you bring somebody. Matthew chapter 3 says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, Old Testament, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. A little biblical detail about his couture. Do you have a sense of style? Do you like to look good? Like to hit the mall? Or you don't even care? You're a casual person? Here's the way he dressed. He dressed weird. It says, for John's clothes were made of camel's hair, kind of itchy and scratchy. He had a wide leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts. Locusts. I don't even know what to call that. Locusts and wild honey. I guess the honey helps you choke down the locusts. That's not vegan. That's not vegetarian. That's insectarian. So he's eating... Eating locusts, but look at this pop culture phenomenon. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Get ready to read this word. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan. The Greek word means to plunge under, to immerse. Uh, That's why it's called. Yeah, that's not actually the correct definition of the word baptizo. The Baptist, a little translation would be John the dunking man. And the baptism is a symbol of this inward spiritual change. Drop- yeah, no, it's not. It was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Read the text. Verse 11, he defines who he is, who he's not. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one more powerful than I, whose, whose Nikes I'm not even fit to tie. My translation He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with heavenly fire. Multitudes, multitudes. He's a pop culture sensation. Some people are coming to him because there's not been anything like him for 400 plus years. But, but John says here in verse 11, I'm not the headliner. I'm the opening act. I'm the opening act. In fact, I don't typically entitle my messages, but the title today is The Opening Act. The Opening Act. And I just assume you understand the delineation between a headliner and the opening act. Do you understand that? All right, some of you don't. All right, so if you, if you go to a concert, 
the, uh, the headliner is the person whose name appears in the big letters on the marquee or on the top of the ticket. It's the one who plays the main stage last. They're the more popular, more famous. They get most of the money, right? That's the headliner. The headliner is probably the person or the pop star you came to see. The opening act, of course, is a less famous, less popular uh, artist or band or what have you. And um, not, not a bad metaphor to describe uh, John the Baptist's role. I mean, you, that, that's not a bad metaphor to describe his function. They don't get as much money, by the way. They play before the headliner. They may not play the main stage. In fact, I found sometimes the opening act will actually pay the producer for the right to be on the tour trying to build their brand. So John's saying, guess what? I'm very, very popular. There are tens of thousands of people coming to hear every time I preach. But I am the opening act. Verse 11, there's a headliner coming after me. More powerful than me. More authoritative. Than me. He's the secret. He's the savior. Now, some of you guys that go to concerts, I mean, you're good at it. You go late intentionally because you don't care about the opening act. I mean, they're not famous. Probably won't amount to anything. Listen, I would, I would encourage you to go to the opening act because sometimes you never know. Like me, examples. Sometimes opening acts will surprise you. If you're a little more mature here, maybe you went to see, I don't know, Derek and the Dominoes back in 1970. Don't make fun of Derek and the Dominoes or lead guitarist was Eric Clapton. But if you went late and missed the opening act, you missed this new pop star named Elton John. Now, that's too far back for most of this crowd. Okay, mid-90s. Mid-90s, you went to see Drew Hill. Any fans of Drew Hill back in the day? Drew Hill. My sister, Havia, loved Drew Hill. If you went late, you missed the opening act. A, a girl band named Destiny's Child with a baby Beyonce front and center. Uh, let's see. If you, uh, Rascal Flats, Rascal Flats. Uh, if you're a fan, who's a fan of country music? Why? Don't you know country music, the Bible says, an abomination to the Lord, don't you? I'm just kidding, just kidding. Rascal Flatts, I'm just kidding. Now don't look at me like that. Rascal Flatts is a great country crossover band, but in 2006, if you went late and skipped the opening act, a little singer-songwriter named Taylor Swift. Whatever happened to her? Whatever happened to Taylor Swift? Did she ever amount to anything? I could go on. I uh, went to see the Pussycat Dolls in 2009. They, they've kind of disappeared, but the opening act. Yeah. Um, can we get back to the biblical text? This, you're kind of like milking your illustration for all it's worth rather than milking the scripture for all it's worth. Gaga, she became something big. But the ultimate example of a surprising opening act, if you are mature, old enough that you were in the UK back in 1963, went to see the Troubadour Roy Orbison sing and play. But if you came late and missed the opening act, the opening act were these four young mop heads from Liverpool, England named the Beatles. Don't diminish or devalue the opening act. It might surprise you. Now, John at the time is the headliner. Everybody, everybody, rich and poor, religious, irreligious, Jew and Gentile, they're all going to hear John. They're, they're, man, he's so popular. He is so immensely popular. And people are asking questions about him like, is he the one? Is he the savior? Is this the Messiah? John, is that you? Is that? In fact, John, this is huge. John is so impactful. John is so spiritually successful. John lives his life so well that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus says, John the Baptist was the greatest of all time. Jesus said he was greater than any prophet or any holy hero in the Old Testament. Jesus, who never embellishes, never exaggerates for effect. Jesus, whose appraisal is always spot on accurate, said, John 
was the goat. Greatest of all time, John. I mean, let's unpack that. The greatest of all, are you kidding me? Greatest of all the prophets. I mean, Abraham, father of faith, Moses, miracle worker, Elijah, dynamic preacher, King David, made after God's own heart. And, John, and Jesus says, all those guys fighting for second. John was the goat. See, that gets my attention. Gets my attention because you know, I, I get one shot at this thing called life. One shot. You believe in some different theology. You believe you come back, you know, based on what you do. You come back at lots of shots of life. So maybe you come back in the next life as, as a golden doodle. Or maybe you come back as a kumquat, right? Or you come back as, as a, a locust and John might eat you. You come back, right, as something like that. No, the Bible says no. Bible says, man, maximize this one chance. The Bible says every person lives once and then we die. Then we stand before God. One. You get one shot at life. So look. I want my life to have a degree of comfort. I'd like to say just being honest and raw, maybe selfish. I don't know. I want to have some nice things and nice people in my life. But if I get one shot of life, I want it to be great. Yeah. What about us? That's kind of like too late. You know, we've blown it big time. Don't you think that repent thing and being baptized and, you know, confessing your sins and stuff like that, might have something hopeful to say to us. Please tell me you're going to really drill in on the good news for those of us who've uh, blown it big time in our lives. I want it to be great. I want it to be impactful. I want it to be spiritually significant. I want it to be, I have one shot. Are you with me? Are you with me, Stevie? Stevie, man, one shot. You get one shot at life, man. I know you're just a senior in high school. One shot. Make it great. Make it great. Where's another young person? Man, one shot. You get one shot. What happened to your foot? Sprain your ankle. I did that once. I hurt so bad. What grade are you in? Eighth. Eighth middle school. You and your sister. One shot. Make your life amazing. Live your life powerfully. Live your life in One life, man. Make it great. Make it great. Yeah, that, that, that's not the message of John. You got one life, make it great. It was repent. Hello? Make it great. One chance. John, the goat. The goat. Now, now when I see something like that in the Bible, you know what I say? Why? Why? What? Why did Jesus say that about John? Why was he the? Why? I love the question, Heather. I love the question. Why? Don't I? I talk about that probably every other week here. I love. I'm not offended if you ask the question. Why? If you're new to church, like, why do you people believe the Bible? Why do you worship? And why? Why did you do Bruno Mars song? Why? Why? I'm cool with all that. I love the question. Why? Uh, Jesus first ever recorded word out of Jesus' mouth. Why? Did you know that? Why? When he's 12 years old, his parents asked where he was. He said, "Why do you ask? I'm in my father's house." Smart like teenager, wiener. No, anyway, why, why, why? No, I don't mean that. I mean that. So why was John the greatest? Why? And I would say, as I look through this narrative, he had clarity. Clarity. Um, he preached about Jesus. Why aren't you? Shout the word clarity. One, two, three. Clarity. Most people are not self-aware. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I, I think you're suffering from a lack of self-awareness at the moment. Most people don't, don't, they don't have a good sense of self. They have some hole in the game, right? They have some area where they like discipline, and they give you advice in that area, right? John was very self-aware, clarity. 
Let me show you some examples. I wrote down this in the margin of my Bible. He was clear about who he was. He was clear about who he was. I mean, he knew who God made and called him to be. You want to be great? Man, be who God has called you to be. Now, other people were not clear on John. He confused other people. He, he did not meet their expectations time and time again. That's why people show up, read the other gospel accounts of his early ministry. And, and religious leaders are like, who are you? Why are you doing this? How come, you know, we do ministry in town and we preach in a certain way. And you do ministry in the wilderness and you preach this weird way. And why? They didn't understand him. He, he broke the mold. In fact, I would say this. John was a nonconformist. Any nonconformist in the house? Come on, any hip, hip. You're like missing the whole point of this text. The, the point is Jesus. There's any delightful dweebs, any uh, marvelous misfits, any glorious geeks, any righteous revolutionaries. Come on, any people you never sat once at the cool table in high school and you don't care. Now, don't be weird for the sake of being weird. But normal's overrated sometimes. Be who God has called you to be. God made one of you. In fact, don't misunderstand. Because people, people misunderstand all the time. They, they think if we do a series like this that we're endorsing all things pop culture. We're endorsing all things pop music. No. If you enjoy pop music, in Jesus' name, listen to the radio versions. All right? Don't do what these artists do. They're not your role models. Hopefully your mom and dad are your role models. You don't have a good role model. Why aren't you preaching about Jesus? Jesus is your role model. John did. All right. So it's not that. Here's one thing I do not like about pop culture. Pop culture can be very superficial, very shallow. I could care less about what you think about pop culture. Who cares? It's not even mentioned in this text. And anytime there's a true innovator in pop culture... Like musically, like Michael Jackson, first time he does the moonwalk ride, or uh, here's an innovation, Nirvana. Nirvana, when Nirvana hit the scene in the early 90s, they destroyed glam rock. Before then, rock and roll was big hair and spandex and makeup, and Nirvana comes out, all of a sudden it's a total shift, and now all rock and rollers wear flannel, old jeans, and look like they haven't showered in three weeks. The paradigm changed, but as soon as there's an innovator, there's imitators. Now, listen, 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 I know you want to fit in, I know you want to have a crowd. I know, I know you, you want to conform. It says in Romans chapter 12, the world is trying to squeeze you into its mold, conform you into its image. But as a Christian person, sometimes I must choose to be a nonconformist, not weird or odd for God, but just, I will not fit in with culture. I've been called to be part of a subculture called the church. Be who God has called you to be. Don't be a cheap knockoff of somebody else. And if you're young, please listen to me. God made one you and he made you to be extraordinary. Yeah, that's weird. The message of John the Baptist was uh, repent. Why aren't you doing that? I mean, he was the opening act for Jesus. If you want to do it justice, you might want to tell the people there about their sins and call them to repent. You're making him sound like, oh, they're the bee's knees. There ain't like nothing wrong with them. But it's human nature, man. You may, I, I shouldn't say the, the hipsters. I love hipsters. We have a bunch of hipsters here. But, you know, a couple years ago to be a hipster was to be a nonconformist. But now all the nonconformists conform. They all kind of look like each other, right? Like, 
break the mold, break the mold. If you're a hipster, I love you, but you know, break the mold, be, be a rich, you be you. And listen, I get, I get the pressure, the pressure, especially in many realms of life, like even professional, if you see someone who's, you perceive as more successful than you, more popular than you, uh, further down the road, you, you start imitating them. You think, well, maybe if I was more like that person or did what they did now learn from everybody. Oh my gosh, have your eyes open, glean. Life is a beautiful buffet, man, sample this and that, but don't try to be anyone else. Anybody feel the pressure to do this? You feel this? Do you feel this? Okay, if you're watching online, like three people said yes. <laughs> Lying in church. It's, it's embarrassing, right? What? Well, I'm an original. No, no, I'll do this. I, I'll, I'll be transparent. Pastors deal with this. I will be the best pastor, church leader I possibly can be. And now if I'm really doing that, I am training. I'm learning from all colleagues. I'm learning from all sources. What is he talking about? Why is he rambling on about this nonsense? Being the person God's called me to be. But sometimes you get out of balance. You start feeling the pressure to start imitating someone else who seems like they're further down the road or seems like they're more popular than you. Uh, All right, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, Our church is big. I'm ambitious for our church to be bigger. Why? Because God cares about the multitudes, but God cares about individuals. In fact, I I think Jesus preached his best sermons, not to the multitudes, but congregations of one. Woman at the well. Nicodemus in John chapter 3. I mean, Jesus loved the individual. That's why I want this church to grow, because every single person matters to God. And as long as there's one person out there who needs my Jesus, I'm ambitious for this church to reach them and grow. And then why aren't you preaching about him? We'll make room and, and make ministry to reach the one. Now, having said that, I'm tempted to look at guys with bigger churches and imitate them. Be more like them. Not just learn from them. Like, like all right, I, who has the biggest church in America? I, that's kind of a loaded question. Some people say uh, probably Joel Olstein in Houston. Joel uh, you know, you've seen Joel on TV. Man, he's very popular, by the way. Well, what if I decided the way to get a bigger church was I, I just need to be more like Joel? What if I thought if I just did more Joel, uh, our church would probably grow more? What, what if I walked out last, you know, next week and uh, Joel like always starts his sermon with a joke? What if I walked out and I, I, I was like... <laughs> I'd like to start out. With a little joke, how many South Americans does it take to change a light bulb? Brazilians. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hold your Bibles in the air. Let's say it together. This is my Bible. I am... Now you're laughing now, but if I really came out and did that, I'm not trying to make fun of Joel. I mean, Joel, man, there's a place in the kingdom for Joel. His church is amazing, right? Does TV better than anybody? No, it's not. He doesn't preach the word. He's a butcher and he fills people's heads with complete nonsense and promises God never made. Uh, but if I did that, like next week for real, after 90 seconds, you're like, David's lost his mind. What the heck is he doing? What's with the eyes and the Texas twang and the why? But I can learn from Joel. I can learn so much from his leadership. I can learn from his optimism. I probably should smile more, right? I can learn from Joel, man. uh, Preaching. Preaching is a big part of what I do. So I learn from preachers. I bring in, by the way, great preachers. I mean, I bring in people who throw down. But you're saying, who is the greatest preacher out there? I don't know, man. Whoa, you know, I love Mac Richard when he comes. I love Ed Young when he comes. I love Priscilla Shire when she comes. Christine Kane. 
uh, all these great, great speakers. Um, Stephen Furtick, wow, all these great. Levi, Levi, all these great. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people say, well, the greatest preacher of this generation probably uh, is out of, out of uh, Dallas, Texas. Texas, a lot of, a lot of churches in Texas. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes. Yeah, no, uh, he, he's a good thespian. He ain't a good preacher, that's for sure. The last segment kind of proved that. Has three million followers on social media. I mean, the bishop, and by the way, he is a uniquely gifted communicator. He's brilliant with the text. and he's uh, a- No, he's terrible with the text, but he's a great communicator. He uses the gift of communication that he's been given for evil, not good. With language, just his gift with words. Now, but bishop... But he wears these amazing suits, these amazing suits. He's a big guy. And uh, if you heard him speak, he has an awesome voice, has this deep kind of raspy voice. And, but what if I came out? And by the way, by the way, he has a sermon. He has a sermon on the prodigal son. Now, every preacher has a sermon on the prodigal son, but nobody preaches on the prodigal son like the bishop. The bishop has a sermon, and he pepper. Yeah, I bet he messes it up as badly as the David and Goliath sermon that we previewed. Sermon with the statement, in the house, in the house. He says the boy should have stayed in the house. You know, the kid that ran away and rebelled, you know, he should have stayed in the father's house. The boy should have stayed in the house. The boy should... You look so unimpressed by that. That's because it's me saying it. <laughs> but when the bishop does it... <laughs> broke, busted, and disgusted. The boy should have stayed in the house. With the pigs and in the slop. The boy should have stayed with his pops in the house. I mean, it's just so good. But if I walked in... No, it's not. I mean, literally every single message I have reviewed of T.D. Jakes is chock full of narcissists, narcissistic eisegesis, a complete botching of the biblical text, false doctrine. I mean, and the guy is a modalist. Uh-huh, he's a oneness Pentecostal. He still does not believe the biblical revelation that God is one God, three persons, also known as the doctrine of the Trinity. Here next week with a $2,000 suit. And start talking to you like this. And you go, oh my gosh, my pastor's lost his mind. And it would feel phony. It would feel false. It would feel plastic, right? It'd be, it, it'd be like it, <laughs> it, 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 it'd be like Joel doing bishop. Can we just imagine that? Come imagine Joel going broke, busted, and disgusted. The boy should have stayed in the house. Amen. Amen. <laughs> What I'm trying to say, look, these are men who are so accomplished and so intelligent. I can learn so much from them, but I make a tragic mistake when I try to imitate or be them because God didn't create me for that purpose. I might never lead like Joel or have a TV show like Joel or preach like Bishop, but there's one thing I can do better than both those cats. I can do a better David Hughes than anybody. And you got to be. And what does that have to do with the preaching of John the Baptist, who prepared the way of the Lord. Who God made you to be. Be who God made you to be. Be that person. Be the best. And so John got it. I'm, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he understood, I'm not the headliner. I'm not the headliner. 
And somebody is pushing back right now because they're thinking, David, I'd like to be the headliner. I'd like to be the one in the spotlight. I'd like to be. No, John, John was not just clear about who he was or his identity. He was clear about his destination, clear about his destination, his destination. Ever, ever plug in the wrong destination to your GPS? Isn't that a frustrating experience? Not only do you not arrive at the desired destination, the entire journey is frustration. You're, you're wasting time. You're confused. You're like, I think a lot of Christians have plugged the wrong destination into their life GPS. See, here, here's the way it breaks down. It breaks down. And listen, this, I like parts of this. Hear me out. But I meet a Christian saying, PD, PD, I got a dream, man. I got a dream. I got a big dream. I'm not just a daydreamer. I'm working the dream. I'm studying. I'm refining my skill set. I'm dialing up my aptitude. I'm putting in the work to make this dream a reality. And I believe, I believe in this dream. I'm working the dream. I believe in this dream. And if you say it to me that you're working this dream you have and believe in this dream, I will tell you this. Well, that's awesome. I love that. And perhaps, maybe, your dream will come true. Probably not. It could. Now, look at the way you're staring at me right now. <laughs> I wish you could see you right now. You're watching like on television, people crossed arms. Like, ah, look, in my opinion, it's the great American myth that parents tell our kids. Good parents, by the way. Now, it's way better than a negative parent that puts their kid down, say you'll never amount to anything, or you're stupid. That's, that's sinful. That's you repent, man. But good parents, we build, I think, false expectation into the hearts of our kids. Because we tell our kids... Dream your dream and work really hard. And anything you dream and you work hard of, it's going to come true. It's going to happen. I think sometimes we're plotting the wrong destination into their life GPS. Because the Bible never says God's going to make your dream come true. You're still staring at me. I'll break it down for you, all right? So Now watch the dichotomy he's going to make here. He's not eschewing or denying the dream destiny thingy doctrine. No, in fact, that's what the sermon is actually about. What he's doing here is saying that your dream for your life is not the important thing. It's God's dream for your life that's the important thing, which, again, has nothing at all to do with Matthew chapter 3, which is about Jesus. But watch what he does here. It is duplicitous. We continue. Your, your daughter, her, her big dream is Olympic gold. She, that's the, she, and she's smart, and this kid will work hard, and she is dedicated. But her dream, she's not going to be happy or satisfied until she wins Olympic gold in gymnastics. But God made her a six foot two, big bone, 250-pound, 12-year-old. <laughs> she's going to enjoy gymnastics. It's great exercise. She may win some local stuff, but she's probably not designed by God to win Olympic gold. Those kids are like four feet tall and weigh like 70 pounds. See, here's, here's the better thing. God has a dream for your life. God has a divine dream with your name on it. God. Yeah, that wasn't the message of John the Baptist. It was repent. People came to him. They were baptized, confessing their sins. Hello. And again, if you're watching, the applause, it's kind of like a golf, golf matter. It's kind of like, it's quiet. Because it's, you want your dream, right? We're ambitious for a dream. But I love my dream, Dave. My dream is going to be awesome. I want God to make my dream come true. No, you don't. Let's just be honest. Our dreams are what? Let's be honest. Our dreams are what? They're typically very selfish and they're kind of small. They're about our popularity, our fame, our, our advancement, our wealth. It's about us. But God has a bigger dream, has an eternal... Yeah, which biblical text says this? Because Matthew uh, 3 isn't saying any of this. 
dream for your life. And guess what? God loves you more than you love you. And you're smart, but he's way smarter than you. Remember last week, I tried to diagram the genius of God. I, I put a little dot on the screen and said, if this is all the knowledge the human family has combined, discovered in the last 2,000 years, and if we remain on earth 2,000 more years, let me give you another circle, uh, a bigger circle. Maybe we'll learn that much because every generation learns exponentially more than the generations before. And we'll know so much more about science and physics and mathematics and theology. But no matter how much we learn as a human species, Compared to the infinite mind of God, I'll use orange to represent that. How much wisdom and information and genius God possesses. And the only problem with my screen and illustration is the screen is too small. God has given all that wisdom to mapping out a GPS and destination for your life. You'd be a fool not to go with God. See, John has all the spiritual swags. He knows God has a plan. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, chapter 3. John has spiritual swag. Oh, no. So he's going to take the prophecy of Isaiah and see, look at John had a dream destiny thingy from God. You should too. That's not the point of this passage at all. And although God prophesied, that John the Baptist would come in the Old Testament, uh, that is not an anchoring of the dream destiny thingy which he's preaching here. Is on the screen. John knew that God wrote down his destination life plan through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before John was born. It says he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Hey, Dad, Dad, uh, Dad, you probably expected me because when the angel told you that you're going to be a parent, right? You were in the temple doing ministry. And Dad, you probably I cannot believe he's doing this. I mean, this text is literally about Jesus and preparing the way of Jesus. And he's turned it into a purpose driven dream destiny thingy sermon. This is despicable. Uh, When the angel told you I'd be a great man of God. I'd work like you as a priest and be in the temple, but it didn't happen. It's okay. I know, I know, Dad, I'm not what you expected. Zachariah, I'm not what you expected. I'm not a priest. I don't do ministry in Jerusalem in the beautiful temple and wear robes. I live in the desert, in the wilderness. I dress weird and I eat bugs. That's what God's called me to do. Then I like, put it back up, guys. I like, he says, prepare the way for the Lord. Oh, I'm not the Lord. I'm not the Lord. I'm not the Lord. I'm the one making the way for the Lord. I'm the opening act. I'm cool with that. Why is that so important? Last thought, I'll let you go. Because John knew, had clarity when to yield the stage. Nothing worse than an opening act that plays too long. Give me a couple songs, I don't know you people, and then get off the stage. You should have left the stage a long time ago. But an act that gets lost in the moment and lingers on the stage and acts the production guy, time for one more. And we're thinking, no, go away. But at this time, John's the headliner. John's immensely popular. Thousands upon thousands are coming to John. And finally, this is cool. Jesus shows up. Verse 13, verse 13. I'll just quickly read this. We're going to wrap this up in a moment. And then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to defer him. I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this and fulfill all righteousness. Get ready to read. Then John, what? 
consented, consented. The actual word in the Greek is he yielded. He, he would yield to Jesus. When I say three, shout the word yield. One, two, three. Yield. Though he wanted one thing and Jesus wanted something else, John yielded to Jesus. You know what it means to make Jesus Lord of your life? Exactly that. Exactly that. <laughs> I'm in pain. <laughs> Uncle! Uncle! Early in my church journey, I thought Lord Jesus Christ was like part of his name. Like my name is David Charles Hughes. This was Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is not part of his name. It's a designation of personal authority. And if he is my Lord, I defer or I, I, I consent. He is our Lord, whether we consent to it or not. Or I yield. When there's a- yeah, that, but by the way, yeah, he, that means Jesus is even the Lord of atheists, although they do not recognize him and deny his existence. He is still their Lord, um, and he will have authority, and he has authority to throw their scrawny little butts into hell if they do not repent of their sins and trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins. So uh, this is just what a mess. collision between his will and my want to. I yield without qualifier, without. That's not the point of this text. <laughs> it's about Jesus. Oh, this is so bad. Restriction. This whole conversation is kind of funny. If you look at it carefully, it shows up in several places in the Bible. And when Jesus shows up to be baptized, John doesn't feel worthy. He doesn't feel qualified. And they have that conversation like, baptize me. Oh, no, 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 no. You should baptize me. No, baptize me. No, baptize me. No, you baptize me. No, baptize me. Baptize me. Oh, you baptize me. Please baptize me. All right, back That's not what happened, and it's not even close to funny. <laughs> and, uh, and John's just like, I, I know who you are, man. You're the headliner. You're Messiah. You're, you're perfect. I'm sinful, and I, I'm limited. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't understand. Yet there's no restriction. There's no writer. There's no writer. I mean, you keep using the pop culture metaphor, writers, right? You know what a writer is in a contract, an artist comes to play a venue. You got to pay the artist a certain amount of money, but then they have like an addendum to the contract and it's called the writer. And these are additional things they require to come and play or sing. Uh, it's normally what they eat or drink or wardrobe. And there's some fun, you can look this up online. There's some really funny things that some artists ask for. Like in addition to getting paid, you know, thousands or millions of dollars. If you invite Kanye West to your venue, he requires, don't get him a towel for his bathroom from Bed Bath & Beyond. He only uses towels made by Barsace and they must be custom cuts. Uh, Madonna at the height of her popularity had an entourage of a hundred people required 20 international phone lines in the green room. And the furniture in the green room had to be the exact replica of the furniture in her living room in Miami. She wanted to feel at home. So you had to fly in this furniture. So she felt like she was at home. Uh, Britney Spears required McDonald's cheeseburgers, even in Europe, no buns required. Beyonce only drinks from titanium straws, no plastic straws for Queen B. By the way, the straw costs $900 each. My favorite writer, though, Mary J. Blythe. And she's so talented. But her tour back in woo, 2006, she required every green room to have a private bathroom. Only she- Isn't it weird that we've learned more about Britney Spears, Madonna, and Beyonce than we've learned about Jesus in this sermon thus far? Yeah, David Hughes spends way too much time figuring out how to get his pop culture hooks into a message rather than rightly exegeting a biblical text.
could use, but the best part was in each of the 35 cities, the toilet had to have a brand new toilet seat because you can't put a price on hygiene. Amen. Right there. So I'll come and play if you do this, 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 and this. But when, when John didn't feel worthy or qualified or understand baptizing Jesus, he consented or he yielded saying, I'm going to yield with no rider. I don't need a rider of understanding or feeling worthy or without a rider. God in human flesh was standing, looking at him face to face and talking to him. There were no riders back then. Who was touring the Mediterranean Roman Empire? <laughs> this is absurd. Care of a promised outcome or a rider of protection of my future. I will yield and do your will. Yielding's a good thing, man. It's a secret. It's the secret. If you're a Christian person, you're frustrated. You probably not yielded to Jesus in some major intersection of your life. In fact, let me develop that. Yielded in some major intersection? What? Does anybody here in South Florida have, like, like me, a brand new appreciation since, since Irma? of traffic lights and traffic signage. I never have before. Truth be told, I find traffic lights typically, if I'm stuck, kind of annoying, right? Oh, you know, a traffic sign. Oh, that school sign, I'm driving three miles an hour and I'm late, right? Oh, but now I appreciate them. Okay, as God guides us through the GPS of our life, this is divine destination, that, that outcome, that, that plan, he will use signs. He will use signs. Isn't the divine destination not our dream destiny thingy, but like either eternal life or eternal damnation? So while we get the stop sign, we want to do something and God says no. Maybe it's in scripture, but God closes the door. I used to get really frustrated by this. I don't anymore. I don't need more because now I learned that's God giving me direction. That's God redirecting my course. And how many times in life have you prayed for something, Christian, and you really wanted that something or that someone, and God said no, and at first you're frustrated, but six months later you're like, thank you, God. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you said no because that thing or she or he would have been a train wreck in my life. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying no. I have something better now. And then other times God gives us a green light, a green light. Now, a green light means... No, it doesn't. A green light does not merely mean go. A green light, and it's especially important if you drive in South Florida. A green light means go now. You're ahead of me, aren't you? But somewhere in this room... None of this has anything to do with Matthew chapter 3. None. This is weird. Where my campus is, is that guy, and I'm behind you, and we're four cars deep in the turn lane, and we get the green light, and the three cars in front of you, they all go now. But you sit there because you're distracted. You're looking in the mirror. You're daydreaming. You're playing on your phone. I'm faced with a moral dilemma. Do I give you the gentle knock? Do I give you a little beep, beep, beep? <laughs> I have a church by the glades bumper sticker in the back of my car. I can't really lay into you, so... I give you a little beep. You, you wake up. Oh, oh, oh. Now the light is going from green to yellow. You make it through. And I'm stuck. And I got to wait a whole other cycle because you weren't paying attention. That green light means go now. 
wait a minute, wait a minute, before you, like, give it to him, Pastor David, that guy, give it, wait, wait, I'm about to give it to you. How many times has God said to you, give me that relationship, give me that habit, make that decision, begin to tithe. You're like, oh, okay. Tithing is not a New Testament thing. Do it later. I don't feel ready. I'm not qualified. You're giving God your rider. You say, it's my rider. When you meet A, B, and C, then maybe God, go now. Baptism. Some of y'all need to be baptized. That's your next step. Jesus was baptized in this story. He teaches baptism. Oh, David, yes, you're right. I need, I need, I probably need to be baptized by immersion as a believer, the way the Bible teaches. I, I, I will. And I'll do that some cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience to get them to, well, sign consent forms, apparently. Yes, God, yes, I'll, I'll go sometime in the future, sometime in the f- We got a baptism today. This ain't complicated. This campus, here's how you get yourself baptized. Get in your car, get a towel, and drive on Hillsboro until you meet the ocean, and we'll be there waiting for you. We'll show you the verses. Go now. Go now. Don't give God your, I'll go, slow obey. I tell my kids is no obey. We're done, man. You got to, you got to. You got to tell them anything about what Jesus has done for them. Don't you think it's odd that the sinless Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is being baptized in the sinner's baptism. Hmm. I mean, that just tees it up perfectly to preach the gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins. Why aren't you talking about that? Jesus, you got to yield. The yield sign is harder because the yield sign, unlike the stop sign, calls for some subtlety and understanding. Typically, the yield sign happens when two roads that are going somewhat the same direction are converging. They're merging. Now, what we do is this. We're like, okay, God, I got these two roads, and God, I, I want to invite you to merge with me. God, I got this plan. I got this plan, this dream. So, God, if you would join me on my plan and empower and resource my plan, that'd be great. But God almost never... Empower and resource my plan. What are you talking about? This has nothing to do with Matthew 3. Says yes to that. It looks more like this. It looks more like this. Like, God, I need to join you. You're on the turnpike of triumph, man. You're on the interstate of victory. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to merge and join you. Oh, you need to clap at that, man. I'm going to... That's what it means to make him the Lord. I, I will yield, and in all things in my life, Jesus, you be the headliner. Example, once again, I'll use pop culture. Please come back next week. Just come back. Just come for the music, man. The music is so good. Next week is... E- Jesus, will you be the headliner of my life, please? I won't, I won't have any writers in my contract. <laughs> what is this? What they have planned this whole series is going to melt your face. But uh, using one more analogy from pop music. Uh, Don't you think you've done enough damage? It was a famous concert tour back in 1986. The Amnesty International Tour for the purpose of raising awareness and resources for human rights. There were six different dates here in the U.S. The final date happened in New Jersey, Giant Stadium. 12-hour concert. It sold out within minutes. Why? Some of the best bands, all headliners in the country are going to play. 30-plus bands, people like Brian Adams, uh, Peter Gabriel, Joan Baez. I mean, all these people, real famous. But the headliner of headliners, everybody knew, was the police. 
It was the last time they played together was this concert. Please, you know, Sting was their lead vocalist. And they were by far the most famous and popular band in the world. And so, of course, they played main stage and they played last. But as the police finished their set, they played the song Invisible Sun. Sting invited from the wings for a a singer to come up and join him. The front man of an up-and-coming band from Europe. This guy's name was, was Paul David Hewson. Bono. And Bono sang with him. And then when the police finished, the police, highly intelligent people, these three musicians, they took off their instruments. And with intentionality, they gave their instruments to you too. Making this transition, saying, if you will, we were the greatest band, but now we yield that to you too. And for the next two decades, I'd argue clearly you too was the greatest band in the world. So what? Christian, that's what making Jesus Christ the Lord means. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's no text that teaches this. Jesus, you take the stage in my life. Jesus, you- Jesus, take the stage. Doesn't even work for the spotlight to you. Anything, any talent, any ability, any tool, any instrument you bless me with, I will use for your glory. And there's no rider, there's no restriction, it is all yours. May your symphony sound in my life and everything I do bring glory to you. And if you'll make that selfless decision, you'll live your one life with greatness. If you'll just make the decision, you know, sign the consent form. Yeah, whatever. I mean, seriously. John preached about repentance. People confess their sins. We're baptized. I mean, what is this? You know, I, I'd like to experience God's destiny for my life, so I'm going to sign the Jesus consent form. Oh, man. Greatness. With greatness. Young people, God will do great things. Stevie, God wants to do great things in your life. Yield. They haven't heard a thing about their sin. Or that Jesus bled and died for them. Not not a thing. Everything to Jesus and God's people loudly said, Father God. Yeah, done. Wow. That was miserable. So I think you kind of get the point there. Um, And what was really fascinating was, I mean, he really put a lot of effort into avoiding dealing with what the text actually said. I think that probably took a lot of planning and premeditation on his part. And uh, somehow he preached Matthew 3 without talking about the need for us to repent. Weird. Or even confess that we're sinners or anything like that. No, we just need to confess that God has a better destiny for us than whatever dream we have for our life. Yeah, that, um, wow, um, narcissistic train wreck? I think that would be one way of describing it. So what you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.